I think, Stefan, the, the biggest thing I learned was it, I almost felt like my, my friends had stood still. Mm -hmm. And so I came back with this whole new perspective. Perspective. It just, uh, on, on everything from politics, which that was a major thing over there, and um, just, just experiencing the world in, in a different way and how people do things differently. So it really inspired me to perhaps not stand still and to not, you know, just do the norm. From the IT company, it's made right here. The stories of East Tennessee founders, creators, and builders. From the idea behind it to the impact it had on the community, their employees, and their personal lives, we're taking you behind the scenes of the movements they built. Hey, it's Paul. Welcome to the Made Right Here podcast. Today's episode is super cool for two reasons. Number one, we've got a guest host. It's Stefan Wilson from Olivia Technologies. And our guest, for the second reason, our guest is Dale Widmer, which is uh, from Petro's, a local icon restaurant chain, been around here since the 1982 World's Fair. You're going to love this episode, a lot of cool stuff, fun to have a guest host, and hoping to have more of that in the future. Listen in. My name is Stefan Wilson. I'm not Paul Sponsia. Um, I am here today um, with Mr. Dale Widmer with Petros. Um, when Paul, um, I met with Paul, Dale, I can't remember if I told you this story or not, but I met with Paul and told him how cool this idea was, this Made Right Here podcast. And he goes, hey, you want a guest host? And I was like, yeah, yeah absolutely. And he, he says, well, do you have somebody you'd like to interview? And I said, Dale Widmer. That was the first name out of my mouth was like, I would love to interview Dale for this podcast because I think it, um, the Petro story, what I know of the Petro story, and hopefully I'll learn more today of you and the family, um, and just starting the world's fair. Um, I just think that's amazing. So let's kick it off. Tell us about Dale. Where did you grow up? Um, tell me about kind of your formative years. I understand you were in Gatlinburg. I did. I moved to Gatlinburg, uh, Stephen, when I was 12 years old, end of, the, end of my fifth grade. My father worked for the Park Service in the younger years, so I, I lived all over the country. Came, came here from Wyoming, grew up in Gatlinburg, um, elementary school, went, went to elementary school there, and then when high school came, he went, decided to go to Sevier County High School in Sevierville, so moved, uh, then did my high school years there. And, and then went to the University of Tennessee after that in Knoxville, started there uh, with a business degree. Um, actually, I take that back. I started out in engineering, and then after a really? year, I because I was good in math and science, but then, you know, those two together with chemistry and calculus really wasn't uh, yeah. speaking to me. So after a year, I went into business administration, marketing, that type of thing. Uh, but then I took a turn and decided that I always wanted to go away to school. Um, into, into Colorado, which is where my parents were from, and I, I spent a lot of time there. So I moved to Colorado, and after my freshman year in college, went to uh, be a ski bum, basically. Worked at a ski resort, taught skiing, all that. I was an avid skier all my life. So did that for, took a semester off, and then went to Colorado State University, which was really a, a pivotal point for my studies because I really focused, in, since I was a little behind at that point, went straight through school, finished school well, and ended up with a business and marketing degree. That's awesome. Now back up just a little bit for me. So you actually studied abroad in high school? 
Is that right? In South Africa? I did. I was Tell a, me about that. Tell me about the decision to do that. And like I'm very curious, like how old were you at that point? Were you seventeen, eighteen? I was a junior in high school, so I was seventeen years old. Okay. And so uh, we had had exchange students visit our school from different countries from time to time and they would stay with the host family for a year. So that just sounded very intriguing and appealing. So I applied for that scholarship and uh, was awarded that in the country. I, I, I asked me where I wanted to go. I said, Northern Hemisphere, Southern Hemisphere, it didn't matter. So uh, ended up South Africa. So they wanted me to start in the beginning of their school year, which was in January. So I ended up leaving halfway through my junior year of high school. Took a full year, lived with family overseas, uh, you know, called a mom and dad. I had four brothers over there and uh, went to school, did all the traveling and all that, and basically was a member of their family for a year. Wow. And then came back halfway through my senior year. So uh, wow. that's how that worked. And that was a very, it was, it was a rich experience. Um, you know, the, the language was Afrikaans. That was the official language. So I, I never really mastered it. I, I'd do it okay. But English, I could always fall back on English because mm-hmm. everybody over there understood English, but all the schooling was in Afrikaans. So my schooling over there was probably not quite, uh, you know. It's a different language. It's a different language. So I did well in English over there. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I aced that. But then, uh, so anyway, I came back and that's, uh, I was a little behind in studies actually, sure. which yeah. is what got me to go to UT to begin with. And I was, I'd really taken somewhat of a year off of school in a sense. And mm-hmm. so that was it. But it was a great experience. And I, I felt like I had just left and, and an out-of-body experience and came back. And then all my friends and all were still there. And it was awesome. But I just felt like I'd experienced so much that no one else had. It was it was, a, it was very rewarding, enriching. Um, but it was it was different, too. Did you push yourself to do that? Or were your, were your parents pushing you? Or were you just like, hey, this sounds like something cool to do? Like... Um, my parents encouraged, but they never, they didn't, they weren't hard pushers. They were just more, hey, this seemed something interesting. And to me, to travel overseas and to do that sounded very appealing to me, as hard as it was to leave all my friends and family for a year. Um, and it was, I mean, at times it was lonely and depressing over there, but on the whole, it was a positive experience. And uh, the year went by pretty quickly, actually. So what from that, you know, can you think of that, that you came back with and said, I really learned this from that experience, um, you know, because sometimes I feel like we can kind of get into a bubble and you clearly went on the other side of the planet outside of the bubble, right? So I'm, I'm very curious if if there's one or two things you remember, like, oh, I remember I learned this from that experience and I use that today and here's how. I think, Stefan, the, the biggest thing I learned was yeah, I almost felt like my, my friends had stood still. Mm-hmm. And so I came back with this whole new perspective. Perspective. It just... Uh, on, on everything from politics, which that was a major thing over there, and um, just just experiencing the world in, in a different way and how people do things differently. So it really inspired me to perhaps not stand still and to not, you know, just do the norm. And I, I didn't have time there to prepare for the ACT and do all that. And so that's why I said, well, I'll just go to UT because that's all I had time. I was literally coming back and I had to pretty quickly take the ACT because I hadn't done that. I just remember waking up on the so I didn't do that. And so it was all rushed, um, but I knew inside that there was just something more I wanted to do. And, and a lot of it had to do with that experience. I, I didn't want that to stop, but having adventure and experience, and, and which is part of the reason I went to Colorado, uh, you know, a year and a half later after I got back. So. Yeah. And now you met your wife, Kimberly, 
at <clears throat> UT, is that right? No, no, well, she was going to UT. You gotta fast forward a few years. Okay. So, uh, you want, I, I guess I could, so anyway, I, I went to school there, three and a half years, worked for a large company um, called the, the May Corporation. It was a, a buyer, uh, you know, and that's a retail business, and that's where I learned management and buying. I learned a lot about business in that. So after about three and a half, four years of that, um, had an opportunity to come back to, uh, my parents came, they had a business in Gatlinburg, mm. Scandinavian Imports, they came and said, hey, well, you, we have an opportunity to get into this World's Fair that's gonna be in Knoxville in 1982. And so, would you consider coming back and running our store for us and doing that? And again, I was like, I've learned a lot in business. I really, the corporate world was kind of like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just, I've always wanted to get into my own business. It just was an itch I had. No, they were in their own business too, which was, again, an inspiration for me yeah. to do likewise. Um, <clears throat> so, in 1982, came back here to Knoxville and uh, got pulled my brother. He was getting ready to go to, to grad school, law school, and all that. And I said, hey, why don't you come do the World's Fair thing with me? You know, and so he came and joined me, Keith, and uh, joined me here in Knoxville. And that's where we did the, the grand business there. Yeah. And Petros was there as well. Um, some friends from Spokane had decided they wanted a concept to come to the World's Fair. They were from Spokane, Washington. Mm-hmm. And they quit their jobs. You know, we had the old Frito pie out of uh, Arizona and Texas was the original thought. And they said, well, <clears throat> let's take that product and gourmet it up and come up with our own chili and da 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 and went around the table and came up with a product that they thought could do well at the World's Fair. Okay. Cut open a Frito bag, put some chili, put all the toppings in there, and then let's have a name for it. So the theme of the fair was energy. Mm-hmm. So Petroleum Belly was the original name. That ended up not being too appetizing, so it got shortened to Petro's. Okay. Um, and that's and then we had regular Petro Premium, Super Premium, Petro's Unwedded, you know, additives, okay. all that. Had to do with the energy thing. That's how. So that's how the name got started. My brother and I were at the fair. We fell in love with this product very quickly, and mm-hmm. a lot of people walking around with them. So we became yeah. good friends with these folks, and that's how we got involved. You know. So you. I- you met these folks at the World's Fair? At the World's Fair. And just kind of fell in love with their product and said, hey, how can we do this here? Or tell me about that kind of transition from World's Fair Genesis to maybe first store. How did that, how did that look and work? Well, um, we were intrigued. We thought it could do well out in the real world. So we talked to them. They weren't, they didn't really know what they wanted to do with the concept. Mm-hmm. And we really couldn't work out anything that was agreeable. But we both had one thing that we were going to do, we already had signed up for it. We were going to do the next World's Fair or World's Exposition in New Orleans two years later in 84. So they planned to go there. We planned to go there. We said, okay, let's just put, put it on hold. We'll, we'll pick up back down there in New Orleans. Plus, that gave us a chance to see if it's the product, if, if the concept going to work down there mm-hmm. in a whole different market and all that. Right. So um, we did that two years later. Uh, Went down there and then uh, they, the, the, the concept, there was about half the number of people that went to the fair and it was a food city, you know, a food area in New Orleans. But the concept still did well, it was well received, all that. So down there we worked out a deal to say, let us take this concept, go back and try to put it in the real world. So we worked out where we took everything east of the Mississippi, they were gonna have everything west. So we came back, opened a store in Knoxville. They gave us some advice on what to do. And we opened up in West Town Mall here in Knoxville. That was in 85, 1985. And then about a year later, we helped them open up in Spokane, one store in a mall out there. We started out in malls. 
Now, right before, as we were building our first store, it was at a mutual friend's party. I met this um, attractive young lady, and her name was Kimberly, and she ended up becoming my wife. But uh, she actually wanted to help my brother and I, so she she was in school at UT. That's the UT connection. Okay. So she was a little younger than I, about seven years younger. Okay. But um, but she was like in her fifth year of college. She had switched degrees, so she was working on graphic design. Okay. Uh, and that's what she graduated in and uh, went to work for uh, Whittle Communications and all. But she mm-hmm. also helped us in the early days with graphics and design a little bit. I was mm-hmm. pulling on her skill set. And she also would help us in the stores, just operationally work part-time. And so she's been involved from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, she's all I got to give Kimberly credit for coming to us with, uh, she found a source on the um, or hand of orange iced tea mm. that's, that we're really famous for. So right. she brought that in, in uh, back in 85. That's we introduced the tea at that time. Okay. And so we started the first Petra's Outside the World's Fair in 1985, um, Friday the 13th, September the 13th. Wow, memorable. <laughs> <laughs> so it was really a kind of a family business from the get-go, right? Yeah, it was. This yeah. is you and your brother. And my wife. And your wife. Yep. So tell me about that, because I know uh, for me, I grew up in a house, you know, my, both my parents were working in a business. Um, what would you say to somebody who's maybe thinking about starting a business that's going to rely on family? What are some, what's some advice you would give them or share with them about doing that? Well, of course, your family relationship, hopefully it's positive to begin with anyway, you know, with your, with your siblings or parents or whatever, um, because we had been in business with my mom prior to that, right. my brother and I. And so that was, it was good, and yet there's also dynamic issues because, you know, we're so comfortable with each other, we're, we're not afraid to say anything to each other. Yeah. And so that <laughs> can cause some conflict. But, um, you know, the advice given to us by, by one of my mentors, uh, at that time, even was, you all need to draw up a partnership agreement, a buy-sell agreement, do all that stuff, even though you're brothers, you need, you know, you're in business, and that, so that was good advice. So we did that from the beginning. This is okay. how that's going to, in case, however that works. But, um, so that was good advice, and we got started. And I think for us, it, there was a, a, a trust, so integrity and trust was there from the beginning, being family. So that was good. But also the the comfort and the accountability probably wasn't always as disciplined as it should have been. And, uh, you know, one of the things... People ask me, well, if you could do it over back then, you know, what would you do? I said, well, that, that was good. I said, but uh, all along, what I, what I didn't do was to get outside business coaches and mentors and uh, board of directors, that type of thing, mm-hmm. which is one of the, because we had family. We had my brother and I, we eventually got my other brother involved who came out of the restaurant business about three or four years later. Um, so we, we had a lot of wisdom, experience, and knowledge of the restaurant industry amongst all of us. But we also, you know, you can tend to look, look in too much and not have an outside perspective. So right. in hindsight, one of the things, you know, would, would be to uh, bring in more ongoing, regular accountability and, you know, of looking at it from an outside perspective. Interesting. So, okay. Um, so walk me through this. So you, we, we started our first store in Westtown Mall in 1985. Yeah. And then tell me about the growth since then. So, you know, that's 35 years ago. So and I've got the great <laughs> to prove it, right? So tell me tell me about the growth and kind of bring me current to today. How how has Petro's grown? Um, COVID is certainly a part of that conversation since that's so fresh in all of our memories right now. But um, tell me about the, the Petro's growth path since then. 
Okay, we uh, opened up one store in 85, and so it was doing okay. In fact, to get into the mall at that time, we actually had to sign something in our lease that said we would do at least X amount in sales or they could kick us out mm-hmm. because they, they'd never seen our concept. And we had big visions that we would put it in there. We had franchise. That was all for the beginning. We thought that would be what we wanted to do. So we tried to make it look like it was a chain. And I, we did an okay job. People used to say, oh, are you a chain? And so even, even in our early stages, we looked somewhat like a like people thought we were bigger than we were. But we also, I can't remember whose book it was. I think it was Moynihan's book from Domino's. One of those guys. But um, anyway, he had opened up a store. They weren't doing that well. But he thought, well, if I open up another store, people will think we're doing better and that will come our business. So we really took a similar approach about a year and a half after we were open. And there was another newer mall on the other side of town called East Town Mall at the time. And so we said, well, let's do the same thing. And so we got a lease over there. And sure enough, within a few months, sales at both stores were, went higher because, we, oh, now Petros has another store. There must be something that's, you know, that must be doing well. We weren't, but, you know, at least people thought we were. So, so that's, that was our strategy. Um, and so we did that, and then malls were like a captive market, and we felt fairly safe in malls. So my brother, Keith at the time, said, okay, let's go to Nashville. So we got a lease down in Nashville at a mall called Church Street Center downtown in Nashville. So we went, now he opened that store up um, to, let's see, that was in, I think, 89, perhaps, 89. And then we went to Rivergate Mall in Nashville a year later, so it was like 89, 90. And then we ended up coming to um John, uh, Chattanooga went to Hamilton Place Mall. We went to Johnson City and Johnson City Mall. So we were at all those six malls out of the, you know, out of the gate. Um, and some of the malls did better than others, but that was kind of our... Was your model? That was our model malls, and we really didn't want to venture out. We were just afraid to get out of the mall because we just weren't sure how the public would, would take our uh, concept. But at the time, we uh, one of our role models... And it was Chick-fil-A. There was a gentleman named Eddie Holiday here in town who had one of the Chick-fil-A's, and they were in the mall with us at West Town. And so they, they took a leap and went out and opened up their first outside the mall, double drive through its time, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, did well with that. So we uh, eventually we got the courage to open up a store on Kingston Pike, not about a mile and a half from the mall, and we call it West Hills Store. And that was... Uh, it's been up in 20-something years. I, I lose wow. track of time, Steph, in our lobbies. But, but in that same sort of time period, so after we'd had the six mall stores up, we said, okay, let's open one outside the mall. Very small dining room with the drive-through, and we did that. Um, invested a ton of money because it's, it's, it was much more expensive doing a freestanding right. store. So we did that, and we did okay at it, but, every, you know, it was a struggle. Everything was... Uh, Sort of financially, so we we put we moved catering into that store, did all of our catering out of that store, so we could build the sales up. That helped, um, and then a few years later, we opened up, or well, a couple of years later, we opened up at Cedar Block in a strip center. Mm-hmm. Again, no drive-through at that store. That store did okay as well, but so we said, well, let's move now that West Hills is doing all right. Let's move the catering over there to help them, and so we did the same thing to build their sales up. So that was our first. For, those, are, those are all the different stores we opened up at the beginning. Um, the, the mall in Chattanooga, I mean, the, the mall in Johnson, or Nashville ended up going bankrupt. The mall did, so we had to get out of that one. And we were still struggling at Hamilton Place Mall, Johnson City Mall, just kind of struggling with the sales and all that. Um, the West Hill store was doing well. Uh, Cedar Bluff store was doing all right. So, and we, uh, but over, so overall, we were doing okay. We decided we'd try franchising. We started franchising in the early days, but 
And we, we started out in malls again, went back to Nashville. So we started doing some franchising, but uh, we really weren't ready to do that. We thought we were, I know we were excited that people wanted to pay us a franchise fee mm-hmm. to, you know, take our concept and try to make it work. But, and we, we, we set it up all, all right legally and, you know, operations manuals and all the training stuff and all that. We did all that, but we, uh, we made up for our lack of systems and all just by being there and helping them and support and all that. So, and it, we had a marginal level of success in franchising. Um, but then, and, and again, at the same time, we got into University of Tennessee at Neyland Stadium, Thompson Bowling, and that was really good for our brand during all this time. Um, and we had people interested in us just because of that. Mm-hmm. So we ended up, um, at some point, we decided we wanted to try franchising again, but do it in a, in, with somebody who had the experience, had done that, been there, grown a company. So we ended up hooking up with uh, a partner. His name's Dan Poole with Poole's Restaurant Group a little over 10 years ago. Um, he was out of Atlanta. So he, he had had a chain of about 50 stores and had some franchise experience, pretty strong restaurant resume. So we ended up partnering with him in order to franchise and try to do it what we thought would be the right way. So that was about 10 years ago. And so we did re-attack franchising at that point. And we've really been working on that. Um, and we've had some hits and misses and good things and bad things that have happened. But we have some ups and downs along the way, but we've been continually improving our systems and our training and um, our, just our branding and all. We keep working on that. Um, we're not there yet. I don't, I don't think we'll ever be there, but we're, we continue to work on that. And uh, then, that, and then in the, over the last three years, um, we've really made a push in franchising. Um, so we've got some pretty good growth in that now uh, with franchising. Company stores, we ended up... Um, so getting out of some of those malls, um, we either got out of our Westtown Mall store last year, right when COVID hit. We were I only had a year left. We kept signing year leases because we just weren't sure about malls anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was actually worked out to be pretty good timing for us. We closed it down. The malls business we went to they closed the mall down, and so we just never reopened back up. Uh, that's <clears throat> we still have one mall store left, which is in Johnson City. We we have another year and a half left on the lease there, so we'll see what happens there. Um, but it's by far our lowest volume store in yeah. the mall. What's fascinating to me through through all of that is kind of your ability to pivot through some of these decisions. Like, well, let's do these stores in the malls, and then obviously, you know, the retail landscape has changed, so now you've kind of pivoted to more brick and mortar, you know, type standalone stores. Um, what do you think are some of the elements to some of those decisions? Just super briefly, like, how did you make those decisions? Like, part of what I love about this is listening to other people's experience, like boots on the ground, real tactile. Um, you know, these are the these are the numbers that I looked at. This is what I thought about. This is the risk that I weighed. Give, give me an idea of what is going through your all's mind as you're trying to make some of these decisions to say, you know, what? I, I think we can build a brick and mortar store, you know, on Kingston Pike, close to West End Mall, right? What were some of the elements in that in that kind of decision? Well, at that time, honestly, you know, Eddie at Chick Fil A, they did this. They were we were literally right beside him. It's like, well, right. Chick Fil A did it. We can do it too. Yeah. And so, and he he encourages. He said, "Yeah, it really doesn't hurt my business at the mall because it's a whole two different markets, right. and it allowed us to expose ourselves to a lot of people that never come to the mall." Mm-hmm. So that really was his his encouragement and the fact that they did it themselves that encouraged us to try that. To, to, to that one store there. Um, but we, and then we realized as time went on, that drive-through is a pretty big deal. And people, we, we were, we went into a, uh, 
uh, some gas stations were like convenience store gas stations with a drive-through on them, and those were received well. The drive-through part, so we kept more and more. The drive-through became a bigger thing to us. Yeah. And how important that was to our concept. People really wanted that drive-through part of it. So um, that's when. So we, we when we the last several years we decided well we really need to focus on the drive-through part of our business like that. We are a drive-through concept. Um, so other than the Market Square store, which we can talk about in a second, but uh, it was, and that's been our, our focus. So we opened up, <clears throat> pardon me, we opened up in, um, uh, first in Lenore City, we opened up a 50 seat dining room with the drive through. Then we took that prototype and went to Johnson City and opened up that in Johnson City about a mile and a half from the mall. And then we came back to Maryville and we opened up the same thing in Maryville. So we opened up those three and Lenore City, because of, you know, Highway construction and stuff that we didn't know was coming, you know, that hurt our business there, and we're still trying to build that. But Johnson City and Maribel, out of the gate, did gangbusters in their, their um, those two stores, plus our little West Hill store, which we've converted to drive through only now since COVID. Um, those are our three top stores in terms of volume and profitability. So, so we're excited about that. Tell me about, you know, obviously the big element in here is growth, right? <clears throat> Every time you open a store, you got to have a certain amount of people to run this store. Talk to me about the Petros culture. Like, what do you try to instill in your people and your team and your employees, you know, a, a, Hey guys, this is kind of the, the Petro's ethos or the Petro's way. How have you grown that into the business and built that into the business? Well, honestly, um, for me, Stephen, just on a personal journey, I'm, I'm 65, but when I turned 40, I became a believer and follower of Christ, and that was that's a whole other story. But that was that kind of rocked my world and changed my perspective on everything. So, um, and then the cool thing, so that's been sort of. From now, that doesn't mean that we're all that way, all the, the owners. But then, um, but then my my partner Dan then also became a believer a few years ago, and so that really affected our desire to really instill in our company. Even though we've always the the, the you know taking care of people and caring for people, that's always been part of who we are. Our first mission statement when we first opened was Petro's priority is people, people at every level. You know, that was was all about caring for people. We felt that was our, our biggest asset. Mm -hmm. So we've always had that, but now we, we bring it into another level. So um, over the last couple of years, uh, three years, we've really brought it more. Um, you know, our, our purpose is to glorify God in everything we do by being good stewards of everything that he's given us. Um, so that's our purpose as the owners, and we try to bring it into our mission and our core values um, and all that. So when people are hired, we talk about our core values, which have to do with you know, hard work and integrity and um, positive attitude and all that. And um, using biblical principles to operate our company uh, is what, what we bring into everybody that we hire, and how we hire and train and fire. That's been a big part of our ethos and our culture now over the last two to th uh, two and a half years. So that's, that's made a big... Uh, difference now in who we are and why we exist and what the purpose is for our company so um that's been that's been life-changing for us tell me about you the petros impact here in knoxville i mean i know you guys have done some interesting kind of things for the community tell me about how petros has kind of given back to the, the knoxville community well <clears throat> one of the um I guess and, and here I got I got to, uh, we, we've always been involved in like, schools and giving away tons of uh, 
think we give away, I don't know, 60,000 Petros every year to, to all the schools. With, wow. with And we, through giving incentives to incentivize their kids, however they want to do it, for, for grades or on, you know, honor roll or, or attendance, all that kind of thing, all the way from kindergarten up into um, high school. So we, that's always been a big part of us, and we've been involved a lot with... Um, a lot of donations, of, you know, with churches and nonprofits mm-hmm. and all that. That's always been part of, you know, what we've done. We've taken it to another level, though, uh, or are continuing to try to do that um, <clears throat> over the last couple of years with having fundraising, letting people come in and nonprofits and do fundraising, and we give them 30% of our sales. So we do a lot of that, have a bit, real active program in that. Also, just giving back, and, and COVID really helped us to laser focus some on what can we do mm-hmm. even though we're struggling we, we're all struggling so what can we do to help it so part of uh, that is giving back in terms of um i think you know our chili we were providing that to a lot of churches you know and, and during all that by by uh, buy one get one and getting all that we go through donations so just a lot mm-hmm. of those don't we do a lot of donating of food um and that because a lot of Nonprofits and uh, organizations are trying to raise money. Food seems to be a big thing that they're always needing in some way, shape, or form. So we're able to use that resource that we have to help them, and it's a win for us because it, it also, in all honesty, it exposes our brand more around the community. So that's, uh, I think, the biggest way we're giving back <clears throat> is that. Now, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, um, our, uh, my son, Alex, who's 30 years old and was out on his own doing video business and all that um, at a college, he came on board just under two years ago. And so he has been instrumental in helping us to continue to focus on that. So he's started a program now calling um, Giving Back a Thousand Hours. So we're, as a company, we're giving back a thousand hours, which involves all of our managers and our staffs, how we can give volunteer and all back to the community um, that's something he's initiated and just started doing. And so, you know, there's, we have a lot of initiatives of what, what does our ministry in giving back and charitable, what does all that look like? And, and that's with our purpose uh, to glorify God, that's, that's becoming more important to us as we continue to grow. And it's, it's part of who we are. Very cool story. I want to go eat some Petros. That was a lot of fun. You're going to love episode two, where we dig a little bit more into Dale's story and the story of Petra. So stay tuned.